Welcome to the Barbara Schulte Show with host Barbara Schulte and producer Ben Self. The Barbara Schulte Show brings conversations, stories, and tips intended to power up a writer's potential for more success, fun, and the confidence to ride and live with grace, courage, and the grit to never give up. In this episode, you'll meet Bobby Kerr from Heiko, Texas. Now, when I think of fabulous people, horsemen, and horse trainers all rolled into one, Bobby rises right to the top of that list. He is most known for training Mustangs and performing at rodeos. His acts are a combo of superb horsemanship with some Wild West thrown in. His brave and talented horses do incredible feats, like jumping over fire on the running boards of his car and then sitting in the passenger seat as he drives out of the arena. Bobby is all about developing trust with his horses and doing amazing feats that demonstrate that deep trust. Bobby and I also have a fun and very special family connection that dates back over 50 years. You are in for a treat and some extraordinary Bobby Kerr wisdom and stories. So hi, Bobby. Howdy. Welcome. I'm just really excited that you're here. I'm honored. Thank you for having me. You're well, our pleasure. So Bobby, when I think of horsemen and horse trainers, you come right up to the top of the list. And I know that um, most people listening will know who you are, but just in case they don't, how about if you describe to us what you do in your career? What I do now is uh, my main deal is performing at rodeos. Mm-hmm. You know, it basically got started doing the Mustang makeovers. So my act at the rodeos is uh, showing the crowd what you can do with the previously wild horse. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think of creative and entertainment ways to show off what I can do with the horse. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that would be horsemanship, you know, lead changes and stops and spins. But I'm add a little Wild West stuff to it by shooting a gun and and jumping over fire, which is on the running boards of my car, and uh-huh. uh, I'll lay my horse down, and and uh, he'll lay there while I pull out a 12-gauge and shoot it, you know, directly over him, and just showing that trust, and uh, then I also have my dogs, my border collies involved, and uh, we do a little cutting horse routine. Uh-huh. Because I'm an old cutter at heart, you know, uh-huh. and we slip that in there somehow, and and uh, people uh, like the dog part of it, uh-huh. you know. And my dog uh, brings me my horse at the beginning of the, of the act, leads them in there, and then uh, I bring in a couple more uh, mustangs that perform at Liberty, uh-huh. so they gallop around the arena around me while I crack my whip, and and uh, I'll take them for a lope around the arena, and then. They'll uh, lay down on command and take a roll. And uh, I've got this old 36 Chevrolet, one of my cars, that uh, I use in my act, and, and the horse jumps in the 
back seat there and sits down and <laughs> I get behind the wheel and drive away and that kind of sells the show and and uh you know when I got into this uh, it was all about the Mustang makeover because you had the freestyle and I was trying to come up with a freestyle that would entertain the crowd and mm-hmm. and uh show off the horses well because of uh youtube and and uh facebook and whatever it got running around there and uh different rodeo committees and contractors got a hold of me to do this at the rodeo and i got my prca card and the next thing you know we're uh we're a prca specialty act and uh i think because i wasn't trying to uh create or become especially act it just happened mm-hmm. i've got my own uh signature deal it's probably different than most mm-hmm. everybody else are mm-hmm. out there doing that and it's mm-hmm. uh been a success it's been a, a hell of a ride it's been fun <laughs> i'll say it's unique oh my gosh when that horse jumps over a what kind of car is it it's an antique car yeah it's a 36 chevrolet yeah first they he jumps over it i think and then he jumps in it or gets in it or i don't know exactly how it goes yeah and then i have my other car like we did last year mustang Uh magic that's a 63 cadillac Uh uh-huh and uh it's fun too because it's on airbags and people can see it drop to the ground and then when i put my horse in it airs back up and Uh and it's got a cummins diesel in it and i drive it uh, like if we're doing something, well, I've drove it to California and everywhere, but uh, normally I save that for our Texas shows, and I pull an mm-hmm. old in line, a couple horses, and and uh, it's kind of self-contained. I can uh-huh. get there, perform, load up, and go home, mm-hmm. and and it's it's a pretty cool little act too. It's the yeah. same act, just different car. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Well, so we go back a while. Yeah, way back. Way back, and um, I'd like you to tell the story about (laughs) (laughs) this is bobby kerr as a bad boy when he was 16 (laughs) Uh, actually when i before that when i was 14 oh uh uh-huh yeah Uh, i worked for a guy in canada chuck aylett and uh he was my hero he was my roy rogers you know and uh he's the reason i wanted to be a cowboy Anyhow, he got a horse in one day, he traded some horses, and on the back of the papers, it said Hulling Ranch, Smithton, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And uh, he pulled them, he was reading, looking at the horse's papers, and he turned it around, and he read that, and, and uh, he said, boys, let me tell you about this guy down in Illinois. And he started talking about your daddy, Cletus Hulling. And how beautiful his daughters were. How beautiful his daughters were, <laughs> yeah, especially Barbara. and uh anyhow he told me this guy had four five six hundred head of horses at a time and uh he hired cowboys and they had their own string of horses and you could go buy any kind of horse you wanted there and and uh you know the whole time he was telling me that story i thought man that's where i ought to be i want to be a cowboy i need to go find this place you know so uh he put them papers back in his desk and left, and, and I went back in there and pulled them papers out, and I wrote down that name, Hulling Ranch, and uh, I went back to the barn. My buddy was in there cleaning stalls, and uh, his name was Herman Shooting, and I said, Herman, I'm fixing to run off. 
I said, you want to go with me? And uh, he said, yeah. He didn't have a very good home life. That boy, he was ready to go anyway. And was he your age? He was 16. He was 16. Okay. He just got his license and bought a 1960 Chevrolet pickup. And uh, so I just sold an Appaloosa horse I had for like 650 bucks. Uh-huh. And uh, I put that money in a little Tupperware thing in my mama's freezer downstairs. That was my bank account, you know. <laughs> and uh, so we dipped into that and went and got some plywood, and we started building a camper on the back of this 60 Chevrolet getting ready to run off. And I remember my mother out there helping us. She thought we was building a little rodeo camper. Oh, uh-huh. And uh, so it come Labor Day weekend, which was off, and there was some rodeos on, and, and school started Monday or Tuesday morning. So we told them we were going to rodeo, and I basically left a note saying we'd gone out west. And we headed to uh, Buffalo to the border. I remember getting to the border and that, that guy asking us where we were going. <laughs> and I said, we're going to the Buckboard, which was a Western wear store over there, and uh, get some blue jeans. And he said, okay, go ahead. So we got across the border that way and uh, whoop and hollered, and we trying to figure out where Illinois was, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> we had a big time, and we uh-huh. drove down to y'all's ranch. And uh, I remember pulling in there and asking your daddy for a job in front of the office there. Mm-hmm. And he was heading out. I think he was going to Clovis and Texarkana and, I don't know, some horse sales, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, well, I ain't got time right now. I got to go. If you're here when I get back, I'll watch you ride, and we'll talk about it. So uh, we surprised him. We stayed, and we camped out, and we got to – my buddy, he really couldn't ride. <laughs> but we got to know uh, everybody that worked there mm-hmm. and uh, got him riding a little bit and, and got to know the horses that we would ride in front of your daddy and whatever. And in two weeks, he'd come back, and he said, man, I can't believe you kids are still here. <laughs> so he had us come out and ride a couple horses for him in front of the office there. And I remember he said, well, if I hire one, I guess I've got to hire both of y'all. And it was 50 bucks a week in the trailer house to live in. And uh, <laughs> so anyhow, uh, we were hired, and and... I got to worrying about my uh, mother worrying about me because they had no idea where we went. And I kind of sent them on a wild goose chase, left a note. We'd gone <laughs> over to Western Canada. And, uh, you know, she had the RCMP looking for me, and I was on the missing persons list and all that stuff. <laughs> so anyhow, I sent her a postcard and uh, told her we were okay, and I'd probably see her in the spring. And uh, here in a few days, I woke up one morning, and they were right there in front of our pickup. They'd gone Wait. to Chuck and said, where in the hell are they at? Someplace in Smithton, Illinois. And Chuck said right away, he said, well, I know where they're at, uh-huh. Eric Cletus Owings. So, so they, is this your mom that came down? My mama and my dad. Uh-huh. And uh, to get us back, I lied to your dad, said I was 16, which I was 14, and they <laughs> set him straight. And... Uh, so we had to follow them all the way back to Canada. Oh, my gosh. 850 miles. Uh-huh. We drove back there, and, and uh, she had the principal of the school come to the house and sit at the kitchen table to talk to me. 
And he asked me if I had a good holiday. I said, it wasn't a holiday. I had a job. Uh-huh. And uh, he said, well, you ready to go back to school? And I said, no, sir. He said, well, you, you got to. It's the law. And I said, well, I may, y'all may make me, but I said, as soon as y'all turn around, I'm going back to my job. I know what I want. I'm, that's where I'm going. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, my mother was all over that. No, you're going to school. You're, you're going to school, boy, you know. And I said, well, like I said, y'all are going to slip and turn around. I'll be gone. And uh, I convinced the principal I was serious. He convinced my folks to let me go. Oh, wow. I didn't know this part. Yeah. He said, not very many kids know what they want to do. He obviously knows what he wants to do, and I think he's serious. Uh-huh. He's going to go. He said, I, I suggest you all let him go. And the next day, they took me to Buffalo, New York, and, and put me on a bus, a Greyhound. And I headed to Belleville, and I got a taxi from Belleville to Smithton. And I got out of that taxi, and I had two or three hats on my head, my suitcase under my hand, and your daddy was showing somebody a horse. He said, I'll be goddamn. Get on this horse, boy. Spin him around and show him how broke he is. <laughs> and I had my job back. Okay, so that was in what year? Uh, 71. 71. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was in college. Then. Yeah. I don't think I got to meet you. Bobby and, and uh, Nikki and Junior were there. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And how long did you stay? A year. A year. Yeah, it's a pretty wild year. Yeah. <laughs> pretty hard to explain to people what it was like. It, it's it was unbelievable. Like, it was like a cast of characters. I mean, I I know I say to you all the time, when's the book coming? And that should lead uh-huh. to a movie. You know, there uh-huh. was, you know, everybody that was anybody come through there to buy horses from your daddy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, legends. And I guess some legendary horses, you know, mm-hmm. and and some wild horses, you know, and the mare's shed and the gildan shed and the mare's pasture and the gildan's pasture. And I remember going and gathering them when somebody come in, even, you know, late at night to go get something for them to look at. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sick Bay and, and the barber shop and Barney Gallagher back there getting horses ready. And, I mean, it was quite the operation. And... Uh, the feed mixer, you know, they're back there mixing feed, and they'd start feeding horses and and get done, and it'd be time to start over again. Exactly. You know? It's just unbelievable operation. Exactly. And uh, the, the thing that really blew me away about your daddy was you could ask him about any horse on that place, and he knew the story. He knew where he bought him, where he come from, what he had in him, what he was going to get for him. And uh, he had, like, and how he was bred, like a photostatic memory, you know. And I remember getting the paper stack of uh, papers of the horses in my string and trying to remember the, how they were bred, and I couldn't even start it, you know. And, but he knew, you know, 500 head of horses, how, how they were all bred and, and where they come from. And then he remembered every horse that was ever there. It's incredible. Yeah, it was. He, he was something else. I didn't get that, by the way. <laughs> no, it didn't rub off. No, I don't think many people have what he, that was a true talent. And he was a talent with a horse, too. Unreal. Yeah. Unreal. Uh-huh. You know, and I met a lot of my Canadian friends, not in Canada, but when I worked for your daddy. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Like when Gene and Dale Purdy come down there and buy horses, that's where uh-huh. I met them. Uh-huh. You know, and Roy uh-huh. and Joan Irons and, and, you know, the horse traders from up there that would uh-huh. come to your daddy. and. Uh-huh. And take him back up there and 
sell them. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I love that, that we, we have that in common and, you know, have that background. And there's some story about you um, learning or practicing your craft, which you didn't really mention this when you were talking about your act now, but you, on the side of your car, it says good and broke. Mm-hmm. And um, it's all painted and yeah. you, you do all that. And well, then that- you got started at the truck stop. Well, not really. The guy that I worked for that told uh-huh. me about your daddy, he was a sign painter. I see. He could sign, paint, and pinstripe. And uh, so I learned it from him. Uh-huh. And, you know, we would go to rodeos, and, and I would follow him everywhere. And we'd be like at a fair or, or at the rodeo, and he'd start lettering trucks. You know, this was before they had, you know, vinyl lettering and, and whatever. Everything was done by hand. And he'd be lettering somebody's pickup truck, you know, put their name and where they're from and draw a little horse or whatever on there, paint it. And uh, he'd be putting that money in his pocket. I mean, lots of money. And I thought, golly, look at this guy. I need to learn to do this, you know. No, I was always artsy. And his wife, a a trick rider, was one of my school teachers. Mm. And uh, so I remember getting newspaper out and he'd get me water color paints and i'd start drawing my lines and my circles and my s's you know and he'd work on my brush strokes and anyhow i learned to probably not as good as him but i could paint so when i come down here went everywhere i always had my paints with me and uh when i was trying to rodeo and not winning no money i'd get broken we'd find the nearest truck stop and i'd go to a truck stop (laughs) and that's when you know the cbs were in and everybody had their cb handle on their Mm -hmm. bug shield on the front of their truck you know them kenworths and pete's and i'd go letter somebody's bug shield for nothing and then they'd start lining up how much you get to do that and i'd say 25 bucks and they'd say well come do my truck next you know and i'd knock me out you know, two or three hundred dollars, and uh, kind of be the hero in the in our rodeo van because I was the one with money again. You know, and get us on down the road. But, oh, that's great! Yeah, that's there's. Great. You know, I remember going to Cowbell, which is down here at Mansfield, the mm-hmm. old Cowbell Rodeo Arena, and I'd either rope or I'd have a colt that I'd want to work on cattle, and I'd trade painting signs to Jack Ratchet, the owner, for for practicing mm. either calf roping or working the calves on my horse you know but uh-huh. my paints always kind of seem to uh carry me through several times in my life that's a nice thing to have a good backup yep well, backup plan well bobby one thing that's so amazing and i started the podcast saying this is your horse training ability and taking the Mustangs, and again, I know a lot of people know about the Mustang makeover, but some people are not that familiar with it, and it was a 90-day, you would get a wild Mustang, yeah. you have 90 days, and then you go to the competition, yeah. and you always did really well, and talk about the philosophy of that, because I remember Patty Colbert asked me to judge, mm-hmm. and I went there, and I thought, all these people have these horses doing more in 90 days <laughs> than my cutting horses know how to do. So talk about that. How could you do that and build trust in those horses without uh, frying them? Well, 
you know, it's all a learning process. And that first one I did, I had no idea. Actually, I'd been trucking for a few years and quit riding horses when I went to do my first Mustang makeover. And uh, a friend of mine, a Benton Spur maker, you know, told me I need to go watch this Mustang makeover. And I just kind of blew it off and, and, you know, I thought Mustangs were little wild ponies. I, I had never been around them. Uh, you know, I was probably a quarter horse guy or nothing, you know, in my mind. And uh, after two or three years, he finally bought us tickets and we went and watched it in 2010. And I was blown away with what they could do. I think that was either 100 or 120 days. And uh, besides the fact it paid $50,000 to win, and you could get a Mustang for as little as $200 out of the sale they had for those horses picked for the makeover. And uh, you didn't even have to pay for your stalls or shavings back then. That was all part of it, you know. And I thought, well, this is a game I might can afford to play, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and... Uh, I was uh, getting tired of trucking, so I parked my truck. I remember it was Thanksgiving weekend of that 2010, and I hung my shingle back out and started riding colts, trying to figure out. I didn't know, you know, how to put that, uh, you know, make a horse lay down, or I couldn't even crack a bull whip, you know, how to make a horse gentle and where you could show them off at the makeover. So... I basically started practicing those ways with Colts I was getting into ride that winter. Come around uh, after the new year, you got a video of the horses available for the makeover. And I think the sale was uh, in April. We watched it on RFD TV and picked up our horses or picked them out and bought them there on an auction they had on TV. And then a month later, we actually picked them up. So that winter, I was practicing on customer horses. And, uh, you know, the customers, they'd love it. They'd come pick up the colt or whatever, and I'd be standing on top of them, cracking up a little whip. And, you know, some of these bad horses I'd get in, I'd have them laying down. And, you know, it was all uh, experiment, trial and error. Uh Uh, You know, I really didn't know what I was doing other than, you know, stuff I'd kind of learned from Chuck when I worked for him. And uh, so when it come time to uh, uh, do the Mustang deal, and I got my horse, my horse is, that's kind of another little story. You know, I had picked out a guild that I really liked. And uh, come sale day, I had a couple, you know, two or three mares that I kind of liked that I wrote down there numbers and when the sale started on uh rfd all the gildens i liked that man they were i had i actually had fifteen hundred dollars to spend and uh some of these horses were going for three four thousand them nicer gildens of course the ones i'd picked out and i soon realized the horse i was going to really want at the end of the sale which i thought was the best horse in the pen i wasn't going to afford them so they got to this, uh, uh, the mares wasn't bringing nothing. Minimum bid was $200. So we got to this one little buckskin mare that 
I liked, and I thought I better buy her if she's cheap, because if I get to the end and I'm I'm liable to wind up with nothing if I can't afford. Mm-hmm. So I bought the mare for two hundred, and then we got to my Gildan, kind of not my favorite, but one that I thought. You know, he kind of reminded me of a using horse. You know, he'd probably make a good riding horse. He wasn't a fancy one or nothing special. So I got him bought, and uh, he was way more. I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Next thing you know, I'd spent $2,700 on him and 200 on mare. So I was twice over my budget on the phone. <laughs> I got off the phone, and I called two or three of my friends, three of them actually, and told them what I did, and I didn't have enough money. So I got $500 for each from each one of them, and, and it was an investment, basically, and I said to each one of them, I'll give you 10% if I win anything. And they said, okay. you know. So anyhow, I paid for my horses, and uh, we went and picked up my horses a month later, from Paul's Valley, Oklahoma. And we got up there, and I saw them bringing my two horses down the alley, and I saw the buckskin mare, and I said, yeah, that's, that's her. And then I saw this guild, and I thought, yeah, I don't think that's him. You know, I got to looking at him. And the mane was on the other side. You know, I'd looked at these horses a zillion times on that video, you know, before the sale. And the horse I bought, his tail was dragging the ground. This other horse had a shorter tail. And he had a left or right pasture. And, and the horse they were bringing me, it, I was pretty sure it was on the other foot. And I told them, I said, I, I don't think that's my gilding. And they said, oh, yeah, it is. And I said, I don't think so. And uh, they said, you want them or not? And I said, no, I want the one I bought. I give a lot of money for them. You know, it's $2,700. <laughs> and... Uh, so they got the video of the auction and looked it up. It took a good while for that to happen, a couple of hours. And they come out of the office, Callie did, and she said, you're right, that's a different horse. We've lost your horse. And they said, you can pick. We got some extra mares and whatever. And I said, no, I already got a mare. I don't want another mare. And they didn't have no other gildens. And this horse they were trying to give me was a good-looking horse. I just didn't like the way he acted you know and i finally said well if i take him what'll he cost me and she said well if you take him we'll give your money back that's our mistake you know and whatever and i said okay you know so we loaded him up and that was friday by monday i was driving a cow on him i'm telling you that he was you know, it, it was kind of, I wrote a poem about him. When I first got him, I roped him in the round pen off my using horse. And I, you know, just easily grabbed a dally and tried to stop him and get him to look at me. And when I put a little tension on that rope, trying to get him to come to me, he'd flip over on the ground and act like he was dead. I mean, he <laughs> acted like I killed him. He just flipped over. And this is my first experience with a Mustang. And uh, when I give him some slack, I'd say, you know, it's okay, buddy. I, I ain't trying to hurt you. Get up, you know. And he would sit up in a sitting position and whinny at me. Oh, my gosh. And I thought, wow. You know, that just kind of grabbed me, you know. And so I give him slack and I got, got him up. 
And I drove him around again a little bit, and I pulled on that rope with the saddle horn a little bit, trying to get him to come to me. He'd flip over. Same thing. I'd give him air. He'd sit up, and he whinnied at me like he's talking to me. <laughs> you know? And I'd say, get up, buddy. You know? Three times I did that. Three times he did that. And uh, so it, it obviously wasn't working. They'd put a halter and a lead rope on him in the chute at the BLM pins, but I couldn't get close enough to get my hands on it. So I just dropped that rope, and I went at him like a pickup man going after a bronc. We went around that round pin, 100 mile an hour, and I finally reached down and grabbed that lead rope, and I got a dally on him. And I went through the same deal. I got him stopped, and I'd give and take and pull, and pretty soon I had him leading around. And it was just like, if you don't choke me, I'll follow you, you know? Oh, wow. Because I was cutting his air off with the rope, and, and I wasn't with the halter. And pretty soon he understood the difference, and he went to following me. And after that, you know, after that, it just made me stop and think about horsemanship. You know, it's like him sitting up and whinnying and talking to me, you know. It's like, don't do that to me no more, you know. I don't know what he's telling me, but that's the feeling I got. Uh, it's like we had a connection. And uh, so I went to, to the ground and using my flag and driving them around, and I got a service angle on them. And, you know, I was in, uh, um, I don't want to say attack mode, but I was consistent with my time on them that day and the next day i got him saddled and got on him and and you know i he bucked when i first saddled him that's the only time he bucked and then i went to the uh pen and i mean not a little round pen it's you know 120 by 200 oval pen i got there at home and i had him riding around pretty good over the weekend and i just happened to have some cows in the back behind there so i kicked a cow in there and i started driving that cow around and that gave him something to follow and you know and i mean he acted cowy and i mean he was awesome and uh let's see by callie was going to call me back monday or tuesday she said she was still going to try to find the horse that i wanted you know she was trying to find out where he went i didn't hear from her and by thursday i had poncho i called him riding around pretty good you know i hadn't even had him a week and I called her, and she said, we just can't find him. We don't know what happened to him. They come from Carson City, Nevada, and she said, he might have got hurt, and I threw this horse in for a substitute or something, and, and which is kind of what I wanted to hear because I wanted to keep the one I had. Uh -huh, <laughs> and uh -huh. I said, you know what? I said, just forget about him. I'll just take my chances with this guy, you know. Send me my money back. <laughs> I'll, I'll gamble and." And that's the horse that I use, my main horse in my show now. That's Poncho. Oh, and wow. I didn't even I didn't even like him when I first seen him. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I tell everybody he's a gift from God. Uh-huh. You know, because I've learned so much from Poncho. And he is not a deadhead. I mean, he's, my wife said, still waters run deep. You know, he, he will still... He'll fly back away from you if you scare him. You can't spank him for nothing because he'll never forgive you. You know, mm -hmm. you just got to know how to get along with him. And uh, he's the greatest horse in the world. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, I think he taught me more about horsemanship. Uh, 
because you could gauge your pros, uh, how, how fast you were moving along by his response. You know, mm-hmm. he wasn't going to let you do nothing cruel or nothing, you know, you know, it's just like when I was roping him and trying to lead him, he wasn't going to let that happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I quit after three times and it, I bet you I'd have done it a hundred times and he, he all he was going to do was the same sit up thing. and winning at me, you uh-huh. know? And, uh, so he, he really made me stop and think about what I was doing mm-hmm. and I would try to, and, and still I try to think about what I'm fixing to do to a, a horse and is it the right thing to do? And is he going to understand and if I start doing something and it doesn't really go the way I want to, I'll, I'll try to readjust like I did that day. Mm-hmm. So give an example of that, another example, Bobby. Like when you say if you go to start doing something and it doesn't work, you readjust. How do you know it's not working? Well, it's like getting on a colt and uh, that first ride, and he goes to uh, cutting in two and trying to buck you off but you can it's hard to do but if you'll slip them a little quit pulling on their head they'll usually quit bucking uh-huh. you know you you're quit putting them in a bind and let them think about it you know um i don't know you just got to slow down you know this uh i got a mare couple years ago well actually the cold i just showed in the snaffle bit his mama i went to the blm pens to look try to find me a, a yearling because i always had this thing i wanted to go to the cow horse fraternity on a mustang you know just for the heck of it and uh so i was up there looking for a colt that i thought might work because it's hard to get a mustang young enough that's big enough to start Mm-hmm. compared to what they're starting the quarter horses mm-hmm. time limit now and uh so anyhow i was up there and they didn't have nothing that w- was going to work and they said well we got this mare up here we really think you'd like you know and i said no no i don't even want to look doing at it. I'm, I'm not doing the mare and uh anyhow my daughter kelsey was with me and she said oh daddy let's go look you know so I said, okay. So we go back there, and here is this nicest, about the nicest Mustang mare I ever seen, but she was eight years old and hadn't been touched. And uh, But she kind of started walking to me in the pen, and that kind of, I said, wow, she does, she wants to be somebody's buddy, you know, whatever. And long story short, she was a three-strike mare, which means they've sent her to uh, get adopted at these sales or whatever three times and nobody ever took her so she's 25 bucks and uh they also had a little baby burrow there that my daughter fell in love with so we wind up coming home with this baby burrow and this 25 dollar mare and uh so i got her home and being eight years old and not having to go anywhere i've got especially the older i've got i've got pretty big on groundwork I said, I'm going to put 30 days on this mare before I get on her. And that's what I did. I did an experiment with her. And, I mean, we never had a bad day, really. It, I just took my time, you know, getting her, hauled her, hauled her broke, leading her, you know, rubbing a tarp on her. I put a surcingle on her. I put a snaffle on her. But just a little bit each day, a little bit. You know, and I'd spend a lot of time. I'd hand feed her, 
And uh, at the end of 30 days, I could put her over jumps. I could load her in a trailer, unload her. I had her side passing down the fence, going away from me and to me. I did everything I could think of other than get on her, you know. I, you know, I could crack a whip overhead. I could shoot my guns around her. I, I did lay her down. I had her where I could bump her pasturing and had a lay down on her. I had all this on her for 30 days. It was pretty hard not to ride her. Anyhow, that by the second ride, I was loping circles, stopped, turned around. I mean, she understood all it was the first day was a transition from the ground to her back and her getting used to my legs against her belly and whatever. The, the second mm-hmm. day, she totally understood that. And, and I think that's all I ever rode her because we were going out on the road and I didn't want to haul a mare. But that right there showed me. I think I was further ahead in that 30 days had I been riding her 30 days mm-hmm. because it made me take the time to show her all these other things that you normally were I didn't used to do. You know, the, it was always a big hurry to get on her back and get riding. And uh, I think I was further along because I took the time and, and we didn't ever have a, an argument, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because I took the time. Uh-huh. That's awesome. So, you know, I, I think I gained her trust because I didn't ever get her in a bind. Mm-hmm. whereas if i was doing a makeover i'd have crawled on her day one or day two and and uh you know put her in a bind mentally you know mm-hmm. what i was doing kind of like i did punch it when i got him mm-hmm. and uh you know i use it using horse a lot now mm-hmm. i i try to you know if uh when I first get them home, I always put a tarp on the ground and I put hay on there and I try to get them to walk across the tarp to go eat the hay. And I've put in a, a new Mustang and there's no way they're going to walk across that tarp, especially if the wind's blowing. And I tie one up on the panel of the round pen so it's out there whipping like a kite. But I can go get a using horse and put in there with that new Mustang, you know, like trigger nude or poncho whatever and they're just gonna walk across that tarp and let that whip over their back and go to eating hay well they have just shown that other wild horse that it's okay and the other wild horse will go do that right away and usually and he doesn't have to relate that scary thing to me Mm -hmm. so i don't know i I use a using horse a lot now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to show the other horse and it gives them something to follow and teaches leading better and I'm not having to hang on to them and get my arms jerked out of my sockets, you know, trying to hang on to a wild horse. Mm-hmm. So my program's changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, back when I was, you know, just riding horses, show horses, and, and trying to ride cutters and that, I wished I had that program because my horses would have been so much broken, mm-hmm. you know. You know how it is when you're at home and you, you don't go to a lot of pre-works and whatever. When you go to your first pre-work, your horse is you know, worried about the call sim or worried about, you know, that's one thing like that cold I just showed. I didn't have to worry about it because he, he'd been around so much mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's got all that other stuff on him. He's, mm-hmm. he's broke, broke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. The Mustangs have taught me a lot. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, talk about performing. You like to f- perform. You'd have oh, yeah. to, you'd, you would have to, to do what you do. It's a blast. You know, it's, uh, 
one of my uh, first performances was at Road to the Horse when it was in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And uh, I showed Poncho at the first makeover I, I did. And uh, I was fourth on him and fifth on lefty, but I, I won the uh, freestyle that night. And uh, uh, Tootie had invited me to perform at Road to the Horse. I didn't even know what Road to the Horse was. I mean, I didn't know nothing. And all, all I knew was everybody was coming up and congratulating me, and I thought, well, it must be a big honor then, you know. <laughs> I had no idea. So long come March, I think is when it was, we headed to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, me and Poncho. And, and at that time, when I went in, I would ride a surfboard behind the poncho. He was dragging me. I'd be riding a surfboard, and I'd be cracking a bullwhip. So I basically driving them in there. I had a little shoestring deal I'd drive them with. And uh, at Road to the Horse, I think they come with a gate behind me as soon as I started going in there. And he saw it. I didn't. But he grabbed another gear. I mean, he <laughs> took on off. And I'm on a surfboard. And I fell off. <laughs> but my feet, my my heels were going probably higher than my head because we were going pretty fast. And I, was, I didn't fall down, but I got him stopped. I had his little drive lines in my baby finger and, you know, going through my mind. And that place was packed, you know, packed. And everybody was whooping and hollering. I thought, I'm going to fall down. He's going to run off right here my first big performance. Anyhow, I got him stopped and I got my, my surfboard back. That in. was the act. I don't know. And... Anyhow, I got through the performance. I was scared to death, though. And uh, so that kind of got the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. And uh, then as I went on, you know, I started getting more comfortable. You know, it took a while to get comfortable. And I was used to doing the uh, Mustang makeover, and that performance is three and a half minutes. Well, when you start doing rodeos, they like you to be about eight minutes, you know, seven to ten, somewhere in there. But eight's eight's perfect and i'd go to them rodeos and i'd just be in a hurry like i was at the mustang makeover and everybody'd say slow down slow down wave to the crowd and sell it you know and and take your time you know so i had to learn how to how to perform uh cotton rosser with a flying you rodeo uh saw that mustang million show on television and and he called me and I met him at the NFR, and I didn't even know who he was. And he hired me for 40 performances right off the bat. Wow. <laughs> wow, I'm in a specialty act business now. So they're all California rodeos, and we went out there, and I know the first one, you know. I went in there and, and did my deal, and uh, I said, that's it? You're done? <laughs> I mean, I was done in about four minutes. <laughs> and so... Through them, they taught me, you know, how to add and fill and sell mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and learn to become a, a mm-hmm. performer. But it's a great feeling, yeah, especially when it all goes right. <laughs> and I've had a couple that didn't go right, but most of the time they do. Uh-huh. And it's like, you know, sometimes the crowd won't really know. But, you know, if he'll go across there and hold his stops when I'm working, you know, be more like you want your cutting horse to be if Mm -hmm. i can get my mustangs to kind of work correctly 
And like I said, a lot of times the crowd won't know the difference, but I know the difference. And when they work correctly and my dogs work correctly and everything works out, you know, and, and the crowd is on their feet hollering for you, it's the greatest feeling in the world, yeah. you know, to feel that accomplishment and to have people, uh, you know, they're, they'll leave their seats and come back tour my trailer or whatever to talk about mustangs or how you did this or how you did that so i get to talk to a lot of people and and i st still have people that i'll go back to a town that i was at a couple of years ago or whatever and they said after we saw your performance we went and got us a mustang it was the best thing we Aww. ever did you know and that happens a lot uh -huh. so we are helping uh mustangs get home and we're inspiring people to do stuff like that mm -hmm. you know just through the feedback that mm -hmm. i get you know from after performances and mm -hmm. facebook and whatever mm -hmm. so it's mm -hmm. it's been a blessing yes so um for those listening if they've never seen uh your horse sitting in your in your car it's just the horse literally sits in the passenger seat and, yep. Bob, and bobby drives out of drives around the dogs are on the hood of the of the car and drives around how do you get those mustangs to sit in that passenger seat well you know i usually put a lay down and a sit up on my horse on the ground mm -hmm. and then i'll go to some bales of hay you know it, it depends on the horse a pile of sand or a manure pile i'll try to back them up mm -hmm. back them up the pile and they really can't do it they'll get so far and it's just like you're pulling on their face but you're releasing you pull you release and and when they try you release you know it's like you know give and take they'll usually sit down and when they sit down I let them get up, and then I loosen the cinch. The first time or two, I might try to keep a cow cube in my pocket, and I'll give them that for a little treat, and I put them up. But I always do that at the end of their training, you know, when they're ready to get put up. You know, I never do it when they're fresh. I've already loped them, worked them on a cow, or whatever we're doing. And uh, so in a few days, you can go over to that pile, and they'll sit down, and I put them up. And I get some bales of hay, and I put a little trucking tarp over it so it's, nothing's going to poke them. And I'll sit them down on that hay. And then I got some cross ties, and I'll make a square, and I'll make them jump in there and oh, stand uh -huh. and then jump out. You know, I get them used to jumping. And then I'll put my old car in the middle of the arena. And during the work, you know, they're getting tired, whatever, and they need some air. I'll teach them to get in my car. Usually they get in there. Sometimes I've even ponied them through. So I'll have one horse that'll jump over the car and walk through and have the newer one follow mm. my pony horse. And so I'll get them to where they're not scared of the car and get in there. And then I'll get back on them and work them and work them. Then I'll get them, ride them in that car and I'll let them just let them stand there and rest and get their air. Mm -hmm. So that's their safety place. Mm -hmm. I teach them that first and when they're comfortable with that or i'm ready to quit for the day i'll turn them around and i'll go to sit them in the seat mm -hmm. and usually they'll sit down because they've already learned to sit on the ground they've learned to sit on the pile of sand and they've learned to sit on the hay mm -hmm. so same deal 
I never get off them sitting down. I always ride them up because I don't uh, want them getting up unless I'm on them. Mm. So that's there. I'm teaching them to stay sitting until I get back on them. But I'll get back on them, I'll get them up, jump them out of the car, loosen the cinch, and I'll put them up, just like I started when I started teaching them to sit. I put them up, go hose them off, put them up. And I'll do that every day. And then I'll start, when they're really comfortable, I'll start starting the car, revving it up, whatever, while they're sitting in the car. I'll shut it off, and after a couple days, I'll move it a foot, I'll move it two foot, whatever. So I just kind of keep building, Mm -hmm. and at the end of that work, when I can, I may drive it 20 feet. I may drive it 50 feet and the next day, 60 or 80, and then make a loop around my arena. And then I stop, get back on them, ride them up, jump them out of the car, loosen the cinch, go put them up. So it becomes, they know when we're at the end of the performance or at the end of the work that if they get in that car and ride around, they're going to get, get put up. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I get people that want me to put my horse in the car for the parade and whatever, and I won't do it. It's at the end of my performance, and, and they're going to be tired when I set them in that car, and that's my routine, and I'm not going to change it because it's working. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes that first time I drive off, I may have Susan behind there, and I'll have a little string on the reins, and if they go to get up, she can – park them back down so they learn to stay there while i'm mm-hmm. while i'm driving but uh it it really hadn't been a problem i've had one time at woodlake california i got an old 54 dodge too and i try to change my act up all the time well this dodge truck i would drive it in have my horse bring or dog bring the horse you know same sort of deal but I would jump them in the back of the truck, turn them around. I had a bench in the back of the old truck, and he would sit on the bench. Then I would get off and get in the front of the truck and drive off. And to me, that was my greatest act because that horse could have jumped up and left any time. I mean, he was totally on his own sitting in the back of that truck. And uh, at Woodlake, that's what we were doing. And I went around the corner, and I felt my truck just jump and i looked in my mirror and here's poncho he rolled out of the back of my truck and i i like to add a heart attack you know i sold it i just whistled and he followed the truck on out but come to find out there was a guy that had a drone and he was filming it and he was following the truck really close and he had that drone by poncho's head and when we went around the corner, Poncho was watching that drone, and so he lost his balance and rolled out of that truck. I see. So the next performance, of course, we didn't let him use the drone, and it was uh-huh. all good. But uh, oh, my <laughs> It went God. south that day. I, I bet there are some stories. We could I've got it. a few. <laughs> yeah. What's the most embarrassing thing that ever happened? Uh, I was at a... San Angelo. And if you've been to San Angelo, it's really uh, a low entry. You're kind of going through a tunnel to get in that arena, and it's very low. And uh, I don't know if you've seen my saloon act, where I'd ride up on top of the Mm -hmm. saloon. Mm -hmm. 
So I built this saloon. I used it at Mustang Million for Trigger. And I tried to uh, redo the scene out of Tombstone where White jumps through the glass windows into the bar. Mm. So I built this rolling saloon. And instead of the glass deals, I had a water trough. And it's like a waterfall. So instead of the window, it's actually a waterfall. And I jumped through the waterfall. There's, it's kind of, it's a long story, but I would go in there on a chuck wagon. I was driving trigger hooked to a chuck wagon and I'd go in there and I'd lope around the arena with the chuck wagon, driving the chuck wagon. Then I would jump from the chuck wagon to trigger to the saddle. And I had two pins I would pull and it would release the wagon. And then I would run down there and do my stops and spins and shoot my gun and at, a, at a, another point, I would jump over the chuck wagon. The Texas flag, when I was here in Texas, it'd be a Texas flag, was on the chuck wagon. And I would grab it in the middle of the jump in the air. And then I would go up on top of the saloon. And it was a steep 13-foot climb up to the top. And I would sit up there and I would tell a poem about Mustangs. And then I would come back down. And I actually had a, a, a calf, a mechanical calf that I used to rope. I, I did that in that act too. So anyhow, at San Angelo, we went to go in. And uh, I had the top of the saloon fold down to make it inside the Coliseum. I had two guys riding inside the saloon that would pull two ropes that would make the top stand back up to give me a little border when i rode up there so he wouldn't fall off so uh we went in there they pulled up the uh top which was fine i go around there with the chuck wagon you know everybody's whooping and hollering i'm making my entry susan's driving my old 46 pickup pulling the saloon is how that went she would go in and park i would go in there on the chuck wagon and make a round and then i would jump well when i jumped this particular day i landed crooked and when i jumped trigger was always going to grab another gear because i didn't have a hold of his face so he would just he would triple a it around there well when he started tripling it i started falling off the side <laughs> and in my mind i'm thinking oh my gosh i'm fixing to fall off and it's a sold out crowd you know and sure enough, I did. I fell off, and the, and the chuck wagon ran over me because he <gasps> still wasn't unhooked. <gasps> so he ran over me, and I felt thump thump across my shins. <gasps> and Trigger is going nine zero around the Coliseum like the chuck wagon races, but he ain't got a driver. <laughs> He's going around and around, and I'm jump trying to get in front of him. I'm going whoa whoa, and boy, Palamas, he's the announcer. And he said, on the count of three, everybody say, whoa. Well, the whole crowd went, whoa. Trigger come right to me and stopped. It was unbelievable. I jumped on him, and I pulled the pins, and I took off. And my pistol come out of my holster up in the air, and I caught it in the air. I went, bang, bang. I just shot it like it was, you know. And I went ahead and, and went on with the act. And then a, lo- a bunch of other stuff went wrong during the act. <laughs> I won't get into it because it's a long story. Uh-huh. But uh, I jumped over the uh, 
saloon, grabbed the flag, went up on the roof of the saloon to tell my poem, and I'm mic'd up, you know, and I said, is that Western enough, y'all? You know, and the crowd's going crazy. I did my poem. I nearly didn't get up. I didn't think we were going to get up on top of the saloon because I was out of air, Trigger was out of air, and it's a very steep climb. I mean, it's, it's scary going up there. Anyhow, we made it. I come down, and I make a victory lap around there with the flag, and uh, my gun fell out again. Landed in the dirt because I couldn't get it because my hand's on the reins and one's on the flag. And I jump on the back of the, over the sideboards of the old film on my old 46, holding the flag, and she's supposed to drive off out of there. Well, nothing's happening. I said, Susan, go, go. She said, the truck won't start. (laughs) I said, golly. So I had to get off, side pass over there. I knew which wires to grab up under the dash and, got it going and we pulled out of there and uh you know i was going out the gate and kelsey my daughter was standing there and she said she said dad that was a goddamn wreck you know are you okay you know i said yeah i'm all right i get out in the parking lot and there was several people coming out it's during the middle of the rodeo and they were coming out and they said, man, that's one hell of an act. Do you ever get hurt, you know, when the wagon runs over you? And I said, no, it's okay. You know? Oh, that's But funny. that was that was probably my biggest. It nearly happened at Denver one year, but I pulled myself. I made about two laps around, and I pulled myself back up. But uh-huh. it happened in San Angelo. Man, the, the wagon running over your shins, that sounds like broken legs. But I had uh, I had rubber marks or bruise marks over my shins for several months. I bet you did. Well, Bobby, thank you so much. What a joy. No, what a joy. Thank you. Thank you. I hope I didn't bore you. Are you kidding? I loved hearing it. Loved hearing it. Well, we love you. Well, thank, thank you. you. And uh, we wish you all the best and lots of happy trails and happy happy performances thank you we plan on it okay all righty appreciate it take care okay bye-bye now i don't know about you but when i listened to bobby i couldn't stop smiling at those amazing stories and at the same time i was inspired and thoughtful about the powerful emotion of trust Thank you for listening, and until next time, have fun, enjoy your horse, and be kind to yourself. See you soon. Thank you for listening to The Barbara Schulte Show. If you have enjoyed this episode, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram to stay tuned for future episodes.